When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Jules from Riddle Me That True Crime. I'm Robin Warder from The Trail Went Cold, and Jules and I want to tell you a little bit about a case that means a great deal to us. The death of nine-month-old baby Jacob Landine on April the 10th, 1987 in Socorro, New Mexico. The day prior to his death on April 9th, baby Jacob was being watched by his mother Brenda's new boyfriend John, not his real name, in his mobile home on 1453 Fatima Drive. While John was babysitting Jacob, Jacob would incur what would be his second head injury in a period of weeks. The prior head injury was a subdural hematoma or brain bleed, and it was serious enough that it needed to be lanced to take pressure off baby Jacob's brain while being monitored by doctors over the course of several days. The circumstances surrounding how Jacob was injured and subsequently died are murky at best, with the suspect giving multiple versions of the events of the day, ranging from Jacob choking and accidentally hitting his head while trying to dislodge a cookie, to Jacob falling and John returning to see the injured infant. The suspect also reportedly confessed to officers that he was indeed responsible, but there is no paper or audio record of this confession in the police file. The reasons given by the DA for not pursuing the case are confusing as well, with one of the reasons being that they were worried that John would file charges against the state. It was the opinion of the doctors that baby Jacob was struck in the head and this was no accident. In the years to follow, John goes on to sexually abuse young Eric, who well as physically abusing his mother Brenda and emotionally abusing and isolating them both, making the world very small. During the autopsy, layers of abuse seem to be present. A healing rib fracture from around the time of the first head injury is also discovered. It's impossible to say exactly when the injury took place, but what is clear is that someone was abusing young Jacob, and that person was most likely John. Eric Landine, Jacob's brother, has been fighting to get justice for him. However, he faces some obstacles such as the statute of limitations of six years on second-degree murder that state representative Bill Ream has petitioned to have overturned. Join Robin and I, as well as criminologist Dr. Ashley Wellman, an investigative expert, a legal expert, a forensic psychiatrist, as well as Jacob's brother, Eric, as we explore all angles of this case and try to bring awareness, understanding, and hopefully, ultimately, justice for Jacob. The series starts on March the 1st. Tune in on your favorite podcast app. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we are serving up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is North American Mythology. I'm your hostess, Ashley. And I'm Emily. And I'm Lindsay. You sure <laughs> so are. Like, so like <laughs> Mr. Hanky the Christmas Who. <laughs> oh, Lindsay. I'm Lindsay. I'm Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs>
goodness. Okay. So, <laughs> no, I can do this. It's going to be good. I'm a professional. <laughs> so, specifically, our special today is going to be the story of the Sky Woman and the Turtle. The Yay. Sky Woman? I've never heard this. Oh, you're going to love it. It's beautiful. All right. Let's do the sources because you know how we do here. We research things. <laughs> All right. My main source was the book Ojibwe Heritage by Basil Johnston. I also used a little bit from the book Myths and Legends of New York State Iroquois Volume 1 by Harriet Maxwell Converse. Um, that's a reprint, though, 2012. You can't find the original book anymore because it's too old. So unless you have lots of money, don't try. Just buy a reprint. <laughs> <laughs> I also used a webpage, nativelanguages.org. The actual page I was looking at was Native American Turtle Mythology. I used a page from the Ohio History Central website called the Ojibwe Indians. I used a couple of... Encyclopedia Britannica online articles, um, one on the Vision Quest and one on the Iroquois. And finally, I used an article from the Canadian Encyclopedia. Uh, this was written by Renee R. And the last name is probably Godox. I don't know. But the article, <laughs> <laughs> the article was on Nanobozo, so you should be able to find it. And we'll post links probably. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, if you're good. If not, you get nothing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you still get the story. That's free. We do that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to dive in. As always, we're going to do our context before this story. All right. So the Ojibwe, which um, sometimes are known as the Chippewa, it's the same tribe. They formed as a tribe in the 1600s and lived in territory throughout the following areas. Michigan, Wisconsin, Lindsay, Minnesota, whoop, 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 whoop. North Dakota, which, you know. Nobody wants to visit, apparently. Yeah, I found that out the hard way, apparently. But also, Ontario. They were primarily hunters and fishermen. Um, I also am going to briefly touch on a variation of the main story, um, and this is from the Iroquois, which actually refers to a language, not a specific tribe. So I actually did not realize that. I learned something while I was doing this. I just learned something too. So thank you. Woo! Teaching people facts. Um, the territory of the Iroquoian people primarily lay in the Northeast, specifically in New York, and hey, Emily, Pennsylvania. Woo woo! What about Delaware? No. Damn. No. <laughs> Is that a state? <laughs> that must be part of Canada. <laughs> well, actually, they did extend into Canada because the Iroquoian people could also be found in Ontario and Quebec, but. Didn't say Delaware in anything I read. Some of the tribes in this family include the Huron, the Seneca, the Tuscarora, and the Cherokee. Um, I also think that this quote that I pulled out of the Basil Johnston book is great context for this story. So, Basil Johnston. Okay, I read some of his stuff when yeah. I was researching 
the Wendigo mm-hmm. or Wendigo, however you want to pronounce it. But yeah, you probably would have. He's written several books on the Ojibwe, and they're really good. I have. Mm-hmm. I think the other one I have is called Ojibwe Ceremonies. That sounds right. I think that's the other one. <laughs> But I think this quote is phenomenal. So Johnston writes, Readers are asked to bear in mind that like any other language, Ojibwe makes liberal and imaginative use of images, metaphors, and figures of speech to express in the concrete, abstract ideas and concepts. The stories recorded are not to be interpreted literally, but freely, yet rationally, according to the Ojibwe view of life. So I think that's important for us to keep in mind, because I know as like modern audiences, I think we do tend to interpret mythological stories as being very literal, when that's not always the case. Another comment that I think is really important for context from Johnston was that, according to Ojibwe elders, the truths of stories must be lived out so they may become part of a person's being. Hmm, that's really pretty. I don't know if I've ever heard something more beautiful than that. That's really cool. I like that. Me too. So I had to share with everybody. All right, now let's talk about turtles. Because they're important. I like turtles. (laughs) By the way, the first time you shared that GIF, I was like, I don't understand what's happening. And then I Googled it and I found that YouTube video. (laughs) Yep. I watched it. It's so great. I watched it a couple times. Anyway, turtles. (laughs) Oh, yeah, turtles. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So all animals hold a special place in Native American beliefs, but one animal plays a particularly important role in the myth that we're looking at, and that is the turtle. So according to nativelanguages.org, the turtle plays a positive role in much Native American folklore, And because turtles are used, I skipped a word there, (laughs) because turtles are used in so many indigenous creation myths, the continent of North America is sometimes referred to as Turtle Island in native cultures. Symbolically, turtles are associated with protection, long life, and even fertility. So why did Ben Franklin not pick that as the national creature? Because I think we do birds, don't we? It had to be a bird. Isn't it always birds? Yeah, it's like there's a state, there's a bird, there's a flower, there's a tree. There's not a reptile, is there? No. Wait, are turtles reptiles? <laughs> I don't even know. Ooh, they are, they're reptiles! I nailed it. Didn't even know, yeah. but I was right. Boom. I wish instead of North America it was Turtle Island. I want to say I'm from Turtle Island. You, I like that. You probably can. I'm just going to from now on. I mean, technically... What continent do you live on? Turtle Island. Technically, it's not wrong. Okay, so we have to also talk about another figure who plays a role in this story, and he has a lot of different names. I think I'm primarily going to stick with Nanabush because that's the name that I've seen in books and and stories most often, but he's also sometimes called Nana Push with a P or Nana Bozo. So he Hmm. is a heroic trickster figure. 
Ooh. Yeah, I love a trickster figure. This is something that you should all just learn about me right now. I'm gonna work them into lots of stuff. Deal with it. He reminds me of uh, Aunt Nancy. Anansi. Anansi? Oh, yeah. Which, who is also known as Aunt Nancy. Okay. I don't know that name, so that, like, threw me off for a second. That's uh, the Caribbean, like, Jamaican, I think, version of Anansi's Aunt Nancy. Tricksters like oh. to have a lot of names because uh-huh. they're tricksters. <laughs> so, he's often closely associated with indigenous creation stories. He is a shapeshifter who has a dual nature. So on one hand, Nanabush is a creator and protector of life, but on the other, he is a rule-breaking mischief maker, and that's my favorite thing in a person. (laughs) I like it. This figure appears in many... Ooh, okay, I had to write this out phonetically. This figure appears in many Anishanabe. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) 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 And Cree stories. And he is often used to teach moral lessons, which I feel like that's true of a lot of trickster figures. Mm -hmm. Like you tell stories about them to little kids to teach them right and wrong. And, you know... Sometimes it helps and sometimes probably doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like a lot of times the trickster gods are used in like cautionary tale type stories. Like, I remember growing up, I had a book on a lot of the coyote trickster god stories. And those were and those were all kind of like cautionary tale type things. Like, don't do this because this will happen. Yeah, there's, they're really fun figures. I mean, they can serve so many different purposes in a story, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy the role that he plays here when we get there. <laughs> okay, the last thing that we need to talk about is the vision quest, because this is also important for this story and for understanding it. So... While the specific techniques and practices of the vision quest vary from tribe to tribe, the most important thing we need to understand is the general concept and goals of the vision quest. So in basic terms, it is a supernatural experience in which the quester seeks to commune with a guardian spirit to gain knowledge through a vision that can help to lead to self-fulfillment. So... I know, like, we talk about visualization and, like, visualizing goals and even, like, kind of vision board type things in in our culture still, but I think a lot of people don't fully understand the way that visualizing something is supposed to manifest it into reality, but that's really what the vision quest is all about. So would it be, like... The white person's version would be the secret type of shit. Okay. As far as, like, visualizing things. I'm going to humiliate myself right now. I skipped the secret fad, so I don't... I mean, I didn't... I I skipped it, too. I just secret? remember it... Yeah, there was this book called The Secret, where it was, like, basically you're supposed to, like, the secret to manifesting whatever you want, whether that's, I want to make more money, or I want to lose weight, or blah, 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 blah. It was basically like a self-help type tool, like, you use this to help you manifest what okay. you want out of life. Yeah, I guess I would say that'd be like a, like a capitalist 
version of this because it's not that stuff is not the goal of like a real vision quest like a vision quest is about self-fulfillment in like a spiritual like moral self-growth way it's not about like visualizing that job you really want but yeah we kind of ripped that idea off and bastardized it yeah i the, i know like celtic cultures for them vision quests were done at specific times in life when you were going through like um when you hit puberty that was a big thing you would go out and you would have your vision quest so you could kind of figure out what direction the ancestors wanted you to go in life what and it would give you these kind of cryptic messages that you have to figure out on your own what it means but it was supposed to be a multi-day thing that you just get you sink yourself into on your own so this is strictly your journey and nobody else's i don't know if it's the same thing for native americans okay, but it, i know it varies though a lot from tribe to tribe so that's mm-hmm. why i didn't really get into all that i know there are somewhere it is like a multi-day type of thing it is very much a personal experience it's something that you do on your own i know it's a lot about again overarching about realizing your place in your society kind of and how to best fulfill your role and how to be the best version of you the most fulfilled version you can be but yeah the the amount of time you spend or like when you do it and honestly i think some tribes do it multiple times throughout a person's life Mm -hmm. which would make a lot of sense because you change as you grow over time but it, it varies and i didn't really study it all right, let's let's get into the story and hopefully I can handle all these pronunciations because I wrote them out. <laughs> nice. At least they're not Russian. <sighs> yeah, they're not Russian. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much the sounds, it's just the number of syllables and wanting to not mess any of them up. So, this story is in parts. So, we're going to start with part 1, creation. So a vision came to Kiche Manitou, which roughly translates to the Great Spirit. In this vision, he beheld a sky filled with a moon, a sun, stars, and the earth, which was made up of valleys and mountains, plains and forests, lakes and islands. Closer still, Kiche Manitou saw trees, grasses, vegetables, and flowers growing from the earth. And then he saw moving life, which also had four types. By the way, four, very important, and it's going to keep happening. Moving life also had four types, walking, swimming, flying, and crawling creatures. His vision showed him the life cycle birth, growth, and death, but simultaneously, he saw other lives continuing on. The only constant was change. Kiche Manitou's senses were filled by the vision. He could hear songs, stories, and cries. The wind and the rain caressed him, and he experienced fear and courage, love and hate, happiness and sadness. Afterward, he meditated at length to understand his vision more completely. Because he was wise, Kiche Manitou knew he must bring his vision to fulfillment. He must bring to life all he had seen, heard, and felt. 
So basically, the beginning story, the creation story, starts with a vision quest. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't even put it together like that. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> dumb. Yes. <laughs> Not yet the you're dumb, but like, yeah, that's why I stopped and was like, just so you know, vision quest. It happened. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. I'd want to make that too. It sounds pretty good. Now we're going to get into the actual making of stuff. And this is where he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> He's all like, ah, platypus. <laughs> <laughs> From nothing, he crafted the four elements. Rock, fire, water, and wind. And into each of these, he breathed life careful to bestow a different essence upon each one. Each element had its own unique power, which was its soul or spirit. The wind, my personal favorite, became the breath of life itself, as well as receiving the gift of music. And that's why it seems like the wind sings sometimes. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Then from each of these four elements, Kiche Manitou created earth, sun, moon, and stars. On these two, he bestowed unique powers. For example, the earth was gifted with growth and healing powers, while the sun received the powers of heat and light. Upon the earth, he made mountains, valleys, islands, plains, and bodies of water. Everywhere he looked, he saw beauty and harmony. Next came the plants, which had, you guessed it, four varieties. (laughs) (laughs) They like four. Flowers, trees, grasses, and vegetables. How's that sit with you, scientist? I I could see how it would be pretty easy to group things that way. Yeah. So he placed these where they would lend greatest harmony, order, beauty, and beneficence. Then he created animal life, making sure to gift each beast with its own power and nature. Thank you, motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Not a beast, a machine. Last but not least, I guess, depending on who you ask, he made humans. And I want to read this as a quote because it's, I think it's beautiful. So Johnston writes, quote, Though last in the order of creation, least in the order of dependence, and weakest in bodily powers, man had the greatest gift, the power to dream. That one gave me chills. That was such a good one. Isn't it so good? good. I had to quote that because there was no way I I couldn't do it better. You just can't improve on perfection. So with all of life now in existence, Kiche Manitou made the great laws of nature to ensure harmony and well-being for all living things. These laws govern the movement of the sun, moon, earth, and stars, the powers of the water, fire, wind, and rock, and the rhythm of life itself, the cycle of birth, growth, and decay. His vision was now complete. And that's part one, creation. 
Now let's move on to part two. Anyone want to guess what part two is? Turtles. No. <laughs> we will get to the turtles though. It will be beautiful. See, my first thought is man fucks something up. I could see how you'd get there. But part two is destruction. Oh, hey, yeah, but <laughs> if it's man-related, I don't know. Uh, this one's actually natural disaster-related. So, large clouds formed and brought a storm upon the world, flooding it until even the mountaintops were submerged. Nothing remained but sea. All the humans, plants, and land animals died, leaving only marine life and birds to continue on. For many generations, the world was nothing but sea. That's it for part two, short and sweet. Wow, that's uh, very similar to Noah and the Ark Ark. and the Great Flood. Was there a Great Flood? I don't know. People wrote this in. Was there, or do we just know from our observations that all creation always ends in destruction and then rebirth? Which, by the way, part three is recreation. In case anybody didn't see that coming. Spoiler alert. Just so you know, we're coming back. So decades later, the rains finally ceased, the clouds cleared, and the sun shone its light on the world once more. Up in the heavens, there was a lone spirit, the Sky Woman. Without companionship, she grew sad and lonely until one day she asked Kiche Manitou to somehow ease her loneliness. In his compassion, he sent a spirit for her to consort with. Bow chicka bow bow. They were happy together for some time, and eventually the Sky Woman grew pregnant. But before she gave birth, her consort left her. I don't know why. They don't really go into it in the story. It just says that he goes. Yeah, he waits until he knocks her up and then he pieces the fuck out. That's what happens. That sounds like real life. So on her own, she bore two very different children. One was pure spirit and the other a purely physical being. Because their natures were complete opposites... They grew to hate one another until their disdain culminated in a fiery battle in the sky and they destroyed each other. Because that's how siblings do in myths. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Maybe, you know, the you know the spirit one played too many practical jokes on the physical one. He didn't like it. Maybe he wanted to You soar. can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> How do you even battle the spirit one? I don't know. I feel like that would be the torment every time you try to take a swing or throw something at it. or It's just gone. They found a way because they destroyed each other. I just picture it very childishly as the whole, like, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself thing, where the spirit <laughs> one, like, uses the wind or something to make the other one punch himself in the face. Yeah, that actually sounds a lot like my childhood, except we both had physical bodies, but she made me hit myself a lot. Love you, Tiff. I love you. Older sisters. Gotta love them, even though sometimes they make you cry when you're little. (laughs) Or when you're grown up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Siblings do that. So, understandably, the loss of her children left the Sky Woman pretty grief-stricken. So she again returned to solitude until Kitche Manitou decided to send another spirit to consort with her to ease her despair. The cycle of happiness, pregnancy, and the exit of her lover repeated itself. This time, the water creatures witnessed this and sensed the Sky Woman's weariness. They pitied her, so they sought ways to ease her burdens. After some time, they persuaded a great turtle to swim to the surface of the sea and offer his back as a safe haven. The Sky Woman accepted the invitation, coming down to dwell on the back of the great turtle. She asked the water animals for one more thing. A bit of soil from the floor of the sea. One by one, the animals gladly attempted to retrieve the soil for the Sky Woman, and one by one they returned unsuccessful in their mission and feeling ashamed of their failure. Finally, only one swimming creature remained to try. The humble muskrat. When the muskrat offered to dive for the soil, the other animals laughed derisively, for they doubted his strength and endurance. After all, hadn't they already tried and shown how difficult the task was? But the muskrat was not discouraged, so he drove to the bottom of the sea. At first, the other animals smiled as they waited, expecting him to give up and return with nothing as they had. But as time went on, their smiles faded to worry, as the little flicker of hope they'd held became extinguished. Well after the onlookers had given up, the muskrat floated to the surface, only semi-conscious, yet clutched in his little pulse was a small bit of dirt. Aww. While the other animals tended to the muskrat and made him well again, the Sky Woman painted the edge of the turtle's shell with the small amount of soil. Then she breathed the breath of life upon it, causing it to grow immediately and cover the turtle's back, so he became an island. Now in the Ojibwe version of this myth, once the island forms completely, the turtle's job has been completed, so he's allowed to swim away and enjoy his freedom. But in the Iroquois version, the turtle becomes the earth bearer from that time forward. Um, and I want to read a little bit from the Converse book about this. So she writes, quote, When he stirs, the seas rise in great waves. And when restless and violent, earthquakes yawn and devour. Like, talk about looking for ways to explain things that you witness happen in the earth around you. Yep. Because, like, even though that version, I think, is a little sad because the turtle has to stay there and bear the weight of the earth forever, it's kind of beautiful and poetic at the same time because it's like, oh... I found a way to explain the tides and earthquakes, mm-hmm. and that's kind of amazing. And like the, sh- the shifting of the plates and all that kind of yeah. stuff, too. And you can see the turtle around you. You mm-hmm. can see the turtle's presence through those earthquakes and the waves. Mm-hmm. You, you get to experience it even if you don't necessarily see the turtle. It's kind of I beautiful. I think that's really cool. So that's why I wanted to include that, because I'm 
I really like the Ojibwe version of the story. I think it's it's beautiful. It's phenomenal. There's no way to ignore it. But like at the same time, I also love the way that the Iroquois version tries to add additional explanations into it. It's kind of beautiful. All right, so let's get back to our main story. So the island was called. I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> Mishi Makinakong which means the place of the great turtle's back. For his service, the great turtle became the messenger of thought and feeling that flashes between all living things. The symbol of thought given and received, of communication between things of different natures. Over time, the island continued to expand and the waters subsided. The animals found and brought flowers, plants, grasses, and vegetables to the Sky Woman so she could infuse them once more with the breath of life. She also restored life to all of the animals who perished in the flood, and in time the island was as beautiful and harmonious as the earth had been many generations before. Finally, the time came for the Sky Woman to give birth, and she bore another set of twins. Of course. Yep. Twins are a big thing in creation Mm -hmm. stories. These children, unlike her first twins, were of composite nature, so they were part spirit and part physical being. One child was male and the other was female. While they had many differences in personality, they tended toward union with each other, for only together did they truly possess meaning. Yeah, this story is so beautiful. It's not really funny, but it's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) So unique to each of the children was their soul spirit, which had six parts. Character, soul, spirit, heart, personality, feeling, and a life principle which gave them the capacity to dream and have visions. That's cool. Yeah. So through visions, mankind would find guidance and attain self-fulfillment. However, while men couldn't achieve self-fulfillment without the vision quest, so in that respect, they're like Kiche Manitou, so men tend more toward that spirit. Women could achieve fulfillment by giving life through the first mother, who is the Sky Woman. Okay. These new when wow, I just said when. <laughs> I tried to say men and women. I said when. <laughs> I mushed them into one. So these new men and women called themselves the Anishnabeg, meaning beings made from nothing because their substance was not composed of the four elements, rock, wind, fire, or water. The creation of, wow, the cycle of creation, destruction, and recreation was now complete. Moving forward from the beginning. So, in the first year, the animals made sure the Sky Woman and her children were fed and nurtured, for they depended upon the goodwill of the animals to survive. Every animal served in its own way except for the dog, which had the least exceptional powers and couldn't offer as much as the others. Would you agree with that sentiment? Well, I would agree <laughs> with the part that comes next. Oh, no. <laughs> no. 
oh no river foreshadowing (laughs) she's being bad but i love her to pieces so anyway the dog pledged to give his love which was all he had and from that day onward he never left the side of man Okay. See? God damn it. That was a good recovery. (laughs) I'm like getting misty because this story like gets to me. I have had so many chills the whole time you've been telling all these stories. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. I'm like getting a little teary over here because this story is just gorgeous. Like I love everything about it. We'll get to some fun stuff when the trickster shows up. But the beginning is just beautiful and harmonious. Mm -hmm. Things are going to get dark again, though, like right now, as the next part's... Oh. <laughs> okay. it, you'll, see how it, you'll see how it works out. So, during the first winter, circumstances grew bleak as food became scarce and the winds blew harshly. The infants grew ill, striking sadness and worry into the hearts of the Skywoman and all the animals who had come to love the children. The bear, knowing the babies could perish otherwise, offered his life to save theirs, and with his meat for nourishment, the children survived and grew strong once more. When the man and woman grew into adulthood, they never forgot the sacrifice of the bear or any of the other animals who gave their lives over the years so they could live on. When her children had been grown for many years and she was assured of their survival, the Sky Woman told them it was time for her to return to the land of peace, and that when they had completed the terms of their lives, they would leave their bodies behind and join her there. When they said their goodbyes, the First Mother ascended to the sky once more. Over several generations, the Anishnabeg, thrived and multiplied as they lived and worked happily amongst their animal brethren until one day a pestilence came, threatening to wipe them out entirely, and many humans died. Sorry, this part's extra hard because, like, we're in a pandemic. (laughs) Okay. One of those who died was a young boy called Odeman. After leaving his body behind, his soul spirit traveled along the path of souls for four days before reaching a foggy ridge. When he found the entrance to the land of souls, Odeman pled for the lives of his people and was restored to life. After reviving, he told the Anishinaabeg their conditions for entering the lands of souls and told them of a promise Kiche Manitou had made to them. He would send an emissary to teach the Anishinaabeg what was essential to their continued existence and well-being. Nanabush would be that emissary. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes trouble. A little bit. But like fun-loving trouble. And that makes all the difference. <laughs> Nana Bush is probably like, ugh, these humans. I'm gonna at least make this fun. Yeah. Well, we gotta do a little bit of a little bit of work before he gets there, so we're gonna back up. Nana Bush was the child of a human woman and a spirit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot to write out how to pronounce this one, but I think it's Epingishmuk, which means the West. 
So Nanabush possessed supernatural abilities. So he looks like a human, but he has supernatural powers. After his mother passed away, Nanabush was raised by his grandmother because he had no relationship with his father. When young Nanabush would ask his grandmother about his father, she would always tell him later. As he grew older, Nanabush eventually realized that the powers he possessed were supernatural, at which point his grandmother decided it was time to tell him about his father. Feeling abandoned and upset, Nanabush set out to find his father and avenge his mother as the young man blamed his father for her death. After many months of traveling, he arrived at a mountainous region where he finally sat down to rest under a tree. He had no idea how he would recognize his father if or when he found them. Which, you know, a little concerning. <laughs> like, I'm going to find you and make you pay. I don't know what you look like. <laughs> I feel like it's uh, Inigo Montoya and the Princess Bride. Do you have six bit. fingers? Yeah. Are you the six-fingered man? But see, he still had a quirk. He had a physical he had... quirk he could use to find him. He did have mm-hmm. a clue, but this guy's a spirit, so... So, Anabosh is, like, roaming the world in this scenario, going up to various people and saying... My name is Nanabush. My father killed my mother. He must prepare to die. (laughs) (laughs) And now he has a nice mustache because that's what happens. (laughs) Okay, so as he sat under the tree, he suddenly heard a voice that warned Nanabush to beware of his father for a pingishmuk is extremely powerful and would come to destroy his son. The voice said, go to the place of the flint and gather the pieces. You must collect them and put them into a bag. If you sharpen them, you will be able to give them another force. And they, in turn, will give you the power of fire. Hmm. Yeah. Nanabush looked up into the tree above him and realized the message had been delivered by a woodpecker. I'm just saying, animals. <laughs> the story just revolves around animals. So he thanked. I, oh, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say, I really like want it to be that the woodpecker gave it to him in like Morse code, like by yes. hanging on the tree. <laughs> Maybe he did. He just he just sitting there all day, like what? What? <laughs> Wait, you. You gotta go slower. I don't know if that was like two dots and a dash, or like two dashes and a dot. (laughs) He's got a pencil, he's like looking at the end of it and trying to like (laughs) decipher it as he's going, you gotta do stop! (laughs) As the tree just collapses above. Oh no! He's just covered in like sawdust (laughs) by the end of it. Aw, well... Maybe it's good for the pores. I don't know. I've never put sawdust all over my body. (laughs) So he thanked the bird for its advice, which he followed. While he was sharpening the flint, his father found him. Together, they talked for hours, well into the night and even into the dawning of the new day. So with the sun's light, Nanabush told his father that he'd come to punish him for his mother's death. Yep, 
Real dramatic, probably a lot like Inigo Montoya. Honestly. Oh my God. He's probably like, listen, I am Nanabush. I am your son. You killed my mother. Prepare to die. But he does that after they've been sitting around chilling for a while. He's like, you know what? You're pretty cool, but you killed my mom. It's been cool getting to know you, pops. But I feel like <laughs> I, dot, dot, dot. I feel like I understand a lot about myself now. But it's time for you to die. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna kill you, and then his dad was like, Just so you know, I can't die. <laughs> So he also told his son that harming him would not restore his mother to life, nor would it give him back his mother's love. Ouch. Oh. Yeah. Nonetheless, Nanabush was determined to fulfill his purpose, so he told his father that the next day they would fight, like they're gonna duke it out. So the following day, the two met on a great plain and did battle with each other. The fight lasted a full day and continued on into the night until both of them ran out of weapons. I totally picture Peter Griffin and the rooster. Oh, yeah. The way they always go at each other. (laughs) They then fought hand-to-hand combat. Until Nanabush, mindful of the woodpecker's message, pulled one last piece of flint from the throng around his neck and gashed his father's head with it. Nice. Oh, yeah. And because it was a head wound, there was a lot of blood. They do that. Finally, a Pingishmook conceded, saying, My son, you have great powers. You are my equal... Not more and not less. And he bade Nanabush to return to the land of the Anishnabeg to teach them, make them strong, and thereby fulfill his own purpose. Nanabush agreed, and they smoked the pipe of peace. They're making up now. While Nanabush had many supernatural powers, his most unique gift was the ability to change his shape into anything he wished, from the smallest pebble to the largest bear to a man. One of the greatest lessons he learned from his shape-shifting was to accept and endure the limitations of any given form and of nature. As an eagle, Nanabush could soar to great heights and touch the clouds. But he could not dive or swim as a duck could. Most of the time, though, Nanabush chose the form of a man, for he understood that beings only fully accept and understand their own kind. That's very true. It is. If a giant talking duck came up to me, I would try to kill it. (laughs) You would pick a duck. (laughs) Yeah. It would be a regular size duck. It wouldn't. Oh, that's true. That's true. It'd still be scary because it'd be talking at you. Yeah. Have you guys seen Soul yet? I have. No. Yeah. Okay. So I picture the duck talking to Lindsay, but everybody else views it as just the duck going, and Lindsay totally understands what it's saying, like a crazy person. That movie was so good. I cried. It was good. I cried, but like. 
happy tears, not mm-hmm. sad tears. No, I haven't watched it yet because I don't want to cry. And then I watched Toy Story 4 and cry. I ugly cried for like two hours that <laughs> Why day. did you do that to yourself? Because <laughs> just... catharsis is so good for the soul. Sometimes you mm. just need to ugly cry it out. Mm-hmm. Ugly That's cry. why I like to watch Inside Out. Oh my god. That's another one. I saw that once and I was like, I was like, I can't. Persephone wanted to watch that the other night and I was like, no. Because I will go into a depressive spiral. And I don't Aww. feel like doing that right now. So, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> she, she was like, it's a really good movie. And I was like, I think you're forgetting a big portion of that movie. <laughs> I think you're Just forgetting. Just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> that it is emotionally devastating. Just so you know. <laughs> and you probably don't understand because you don't have mental illness. So, yeah. Fair enough. That we know of. <laughs> looks over her shoulder just gonna let that hang there dun 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 for all of his many attributes and his complex nature the Anishnabeg came to love accept and understand Nanabush now the, the last part of this there's no way like it was just too beautiful so I'm gonna go ahead and directly quote from Johnston again because I could have tried to rewrite this for a thousand years and not done it justice. So, quote, In his conduct was reflected the character of men and women, young and old. From Nanabush, although he was a paradox, physical and spirit being, doing good and unable to attain it, the Anishnabeg learned. For his teachings, they honored Nanabush. It hurts me in my soul a little. <laughs> like in a good way, but the part where they're like, he does good, but he cannot fully attain it. Why? Uh-huh. Why would you hurt me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, that is actually it. That's the story of the Sky Woman and the Turtle. I really liked that story. It's yeah. so good. It's. There are so many aspects to it that are heartbreaking and sad, and yet there's something that's really endearing, and there's this chance to redeem mankind, and it's it's beautiful. And not just mankind, it's all of creation, because creation is remade, mm-hmm. and rebirth, and that's really beautiful. Yeah. I don't know, I feel like you can really see a lot of the inspiration for... For Jungian psychology in this story, but he also did live with Native Americans for a while. So, yeah, it's all about learning about cycles of birth, growth, destruction, and rebirth, and the way that the circle is beautiful. Like, even destruction is beautiful somehow. Mm-hmm. I think we go through that even on small personal scales with over and over within our own lives. We absolutely do. We, we have to totally tear ourselves apart, tear ourselves down, and then start new. And sometimes someone else tears you down, but mm-hmm. you're the one that still has to rebuild it. Okay, let's go ahead and do our last part of all the myth sections, which is when I try to find other places we can see this story, even if it's only parts. So, 
I decided to start easy on myself. Because <laughs> I was a little all over the place with this one. So I was first like, okay, well, I definitely know of another creation myth that involves the world on the back of a giant tortoise. And it's from the Hindu creation myth from India. So in that story, it's a little bit different, though, because the earth is on the backs of four elephants who are then standing on the back of a giant tortoise. Okay. Yeah, I suppose elephants are a big part of their culture, so that would, yeah, that makes sense. It's a very uh, complicated balancing act there. But if you think about it, like, and I realize this was a little while ago now, but if you think about it, that version also probably matches with the Iroquois variation of this story where the turtle stays under the earth mm-hmm. forever. And so they explain, stop it. Sorry, my dog is just being a butthole, but it's fine. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, so the in the Iroquois version, they say that the movement of the animal still under the earth helps to explain phenomena like earthquakes or the changing of the tides and storms and things like that. So I imagine the elephants have a very similar role in the Hindu version of the story. But I kind of feel bad for that turtle. That's like, not only are you holding up a whole planet, mm-hmm. you're also holding up four giant elephants forever. Yeah. Okay. Um, so another place we can see this, I'm like all over the place with this one. So I also jumped contemporary. So a modern place that we can see this is if you're familiar with Terry Pratchett's Discworld series. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Their earth is an earth that's on the back of a turtle. Like, it's shaped like a flat disc, but it's on the back of the four elephants on the back of a giant turtle. Okay. That sounds like Terry Pratchett. Yeah. And I... Okay, my personal favorite book... I haven't read all of the series, but my personal my personal favorite book is um, The Last Hero because it's a graphic novel. So you end up with these, like, full, like, two-page, big, like, beautiful artist renderings of a world on the back of a turtle. Oh, that does sound it's really pretty. gorgeous. Okay, so I also wanted to look at trickster figures because that's the other half of the story. So half is creation and half is trickster figures and their role in culture. And I know you guys already know this, but these are literally everywhere. Like oh, yeah. I don't think oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a culture since the dawn of man that didn't have some kind of trickster figure. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. It's because we all know that person that is a trickster to some extent. And then mm-hmm. somebody along the way was like, there has to be a god that's making this happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, goodness. So I, I picked some examples. I could have done this for like, again, I probably could have done this for like a thousand years and we still would have had a lot left. Mm-hmm. But I picked some that I thought people would be familiar with. I thought that'd be more fun. Mm-hmm. So the first one I picked, I know, is Lindsay's favorite. Lindsay, who is it? <laughs> I think it's Loki. <laughs> As she dances around. <laughs> I was yeah. hoping, I was like, Loki, 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 Loki. 
I had this before you even started texting me pictures of Tom Hiddleston, so. But as soon as you sent that, I was like, oh yeah, first one. Nice. So Loki is a figure from Norse mythology, and I'm sure most of our listeners are... Like, you obviously know him, I'm sorry, but he's in the MCU, and if you're not watching the Marvel movies, like, what are you even doing with your life? (laughs) (laughs) What does life look like for you? I imagine it's very sad if you've never seen a Marvel movie. But yeah, so, you know, you get a good, I feel like a fairly good idea of what his powers are, the scope of his powers in those movies, too, which is freaking awesome. So mm-hmm. he can very much shapeshift. We can see him project all kinds of different images. He can project himself into a different position, but then not physically actually be there. Which, mm-hmm. I gotta say, that might be my favorite, because Thor always falls for it. And it yep. kills me. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he's a master manipulator. He's a master yes. manipulator, and that's really the heart of a trickster figure. Someone who can convince you something is true no matter how much other information you might have that's telling you it isn't and he does kind of like the description of nanabush there are some aspects of him where he does try to be good and do good Mm -hmm. things but he can't fight his nature at some point he has to go back and do something deceitful or trickster-ish like he can only keep that for so long before he has to do something to like revert back yeah and that's awesome and it's really reflective of the nature of man if you think about it like there is not one human being i don't care how good they seem like they are we all have a dual nature Mm -hmm. you always even if someone never voices any of the negative things they've ever thought I guarantee you they've thought something mean about somebody or they've told a lie because they were in a situation where they felt like they needed to. We've all done it. And that's why the trickster figure is so freaking cool, because he really gets at the complexity of human nature. And I feel like it's a character, too, that so many people can relate to. And that's why they're so popular. And there's so many of them in different cultures, because... In a sense, they are the most human of the kinds of gods that are created to explain and describe certain things, because anyone can see themselves in some of these trickster characters. Mm -hmm. I think another really interesting thing about trickster characters, like you said, they they can often, they're not evil. Mm -hmm. No. I I don't think I've ever seen a trickster character that was at heart evil. They're troublemakers. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think a big thing about tricksters is a lot of times they get in their own dang ways. Yep. Absolutely. They do. They they cause trouble for themselves as much as they cause trouble for other beings. Mm-hmm. And that's another really human aspect. Oh, yeah. Don't we do that to ourselves yep. all the dang time? We yep. just love to shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, Metaphorically, yep. <laughs> but, you know, well, some people do it literally, but <laughs> yep. hopefully you stick to metaphorically shooting yourself in the foot. Yep. <laughs> we just do, though. It's, it's just, we have this way, I think, of as human beings, of just getting so 
caught up in things, whether it's caught up in a moment as it's happening or caught up in your own thoughts, I'm always all up in my own thoughts and it screws me over every time. (laughs) Same. So it's like, I feel like we really do identify because you're right, no matter what the trickster does, I mean, he's definitely not evil, but he also can't always be good and he can't always do the right thing because sometimes it's just not in him or her sometimes they're female but i think all my examples are male they are (laughs) every single one of these is a man and i'm only just now realizing it whoops which is kind of funny if you think about it because i think women are pretty good at being tricksters we are but you know if you don't get caught that much, does it <laughs> So the next example I have, I know that you're familiar with Emily. So this one is Anansi. Yay, that's the one I was hoping you would pick. Yep, so Anansi's primarily from African and Caribbean folklore. And he takes a lot of different forms. Em, do you want to talk a little bit? I know you know some things. Yeah, uh, Anansi is primarily known as Anansi the spider. That would be, I think, his biggest form. Typically a spider, half human, half spider, or human form. Yeah. But it's not like a human-sized spider, thank God. I think it's always an actual spider-sized spider. I think so, too. And, like, (laughs) that used to freak me out so bad, like, when I was a little kid. Because that's how I heard about Anansi was from, like, a storybook for children. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, that's got to be a big spider. I know. I was was immediately thinking of the giant spiders from, like, from Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. When you said that. Like, Eric... What was what was his name? I can't remember what he was called. Oh, it's not like Aragog. Is it Aragog? Aragog. Yep. Uh huh. Sweet. I knew we were gonna get there. <laughs> well, I couldn't remember if that was a character from Lord of the Rings or if that was Harry Potter. So Aragorn is Lord yep. of the Rings. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, the other cool the other cool reason I picked Anansi is because there are a lot of variations of Anansi's name, which is actually how you threw me off the one day because you were like, Aunt Nancy, and I was like, I don't know who that is, but it is an Anansi. <laughs> yeah. So that's another, I feel like, really cool idea for a trickster character is to have someone that has all these different names and Nana Bush is like that. So you might mm-hmm. not even know who you're talking to. <laughs> and that's part of how they get you. Oh, it is. Those devils, but we love them. Um, so another one that I picked is Dionysus, who is a Greek god. Um, he's also the god of wine. Just BTW. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. was like, I recognize the name, but I'm blanking on where I've heard it before. Yeah. And then she hears wine and she goes, oh, okay, I know that. And if you think about it, <laughs> the second you hear it, what makes more sense than someone tricking you than a god of wine? Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We all make dumb alcohol-fueled mistakes sometimes. (laughs) Some of us quit drinking because of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have a bunch of other examples. Some of them I'll talk a little bit about. Some of them I'm just going to throw it out there and move on. Um, 
We have Maui, who's from Polynesian folklore, who I obviously picked because of Moana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you haven't seen that movie, you probably should, because it's amazing, just in case you didn't know. But also there's a trickster god in it, and he's kind mm-hmm. of phenomenal. And he's a shapeshifter, which is awesome. Gotta and love voice by Dwayne Johnson. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he will say you're welcome when you have not thanked him and we're not planning on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what was going through my head. (laughs) This is very true. I have thrown you off your entire game. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Dwayne Johnson could also do that. Like, if he smiled at me, I would not remember my name. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then he'd say, you're welcome. And I'd be, like, passed out. And that's fine. (laughs) Um, I also picked Sly Peter, who's from Macedonian and Bulgarian folklore. Uh, the figure Puck, who's from Shakespeare. Yes, yes. What, what? It's a good one. Yeah, I had, I had to include a Shakespearean trickster. That's just necessary. Um, Reynard the Fox is from Dutch, French, English, and German fables. Oh, wow. So you can see I went, like, all over the world on that. But I also picked three modern, well, more modern examples. So the first one is Bugs Bunny. Oh, yeah. I can see that. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of those ones that you never notice because you're usually watching them when you're a kid. And you don't know any better. But if you take more than 30 seconds to think about, it's 100% true. Yeah. He's been fucking with Elmer Fudd for decades. (laughs) And Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck. Oh, I miss cartoons. Don't ever get the DVDs, though, because it's got, like, a foreword by Whoopi Goldberg for whatever reason. And she's like... You have to take these cartoons with a grain of salt because they were super racist back in the day. They and were. All this kind of stuff. And they were. And it's like, yeah, that's, we know. <laughs> like, you don't have to warn us. I feel like the whole problem with revisiting stuff from your childhood when you're older is you absolutely notice a bunch of super inappropriate stuff. And mm-hmm. then it shatters your entire image of your childhood. Like, Finding out that Rocco on Rocco's Modern Life was a phone sex operator for a while, that messed me up. I I was today years old when I learned that. Me too. I will send you both the picture <laughs> oh that I saw God. online that made me realize that that is 100% true. <laughs> oh my God. It will mess you up. Thank you, Nickelodeon, for that one. <laughs> Listen, they got away with it because you didn't know until I just mm-hmm. told you. <laughs> it's like uh, all the innuendos in Shrek. Oh my god, There's yeah. so many innuendos in Shrek that as an adult, you're like, oh my god, I don't want my kids to know this stuff, but they don't get it. They don't. Mm-hmm. They'll get it later, and then they'll be like, how could you let me watch this? <laughs> Which, you know, to be fair, I feel like my mom tried to stop me from watching a lot of stuff when I was a kid. And I was like, I want to watch it even harder now. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so my next one is super obvious, but I'm still going to do it. The Joker from Batman. Yep. Literally, his name is the Joker. So if you didn't realize that, 
I am sorry for you. <laughs> Something is fundamentally wrong with you. Yes. I mean, <laughs> we can't the, help you with that. <laughs> his name is the Joker. He paints himself up as a clown, and he regularly fucks with everyone's heads. You should have known. <laughs> and the last one I picked is one who annoys me to no end. Q from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. That guy's kind of a dick. freaking guy. He's a huge a-hole, but he's definitely a trickster, even though he annoys me. I, I enjoy his character reimagined because the actor who plays him voiced the character Discord in the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic reboot. I knew that. Oh my god. <laughs> and he is exactly the same type of character as Q, but in a more child-friendly and hilarious manner. And in so, the less, like, if you mess this up, you'll literally die, and that's why it's yes. funny way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because, you know, to us mortals, that's not funny, Q. You're just being an asshole. Yep. <laughs> but you are a trickster, so fine. You're just the most annoying one. Was Q the robot? No. Who am I thinking of? This? I don't You're thinking, thinking of, of data. data. Oh, you said robot. Isn't Data a robot? He's an android. <laughs> He's an android. No, no, no. This he is an android. Feel. No, he no. can feel things. No, no. That's a phone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I could have kept going, but I, those are the ones that I picked. So, yeah. I feel like there are probably tons of connections between this story and cultures throughout history all around the world and even into today because we're fascinated oh, by tricksters forever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's because they're fun they are they are fun unless they're cute they're oddly <laughs> endearing yeah they drive you crazy, and sometimes you hate them, but at the same time, you love them because they do have that ability to turn it around and, and make you think, oh, maybe there's a possibility for this person to not suck so hard. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you want them to fail. Well, so that's part of their charm, too, is you want them. When like, it's with, cute. With the Joker. And the well, Joker. And like with, with the Joker, you're like, you know he's going to fail at whatever he does, because that's just how it happens. But it's fun to watch the ride. So, I guess, uh, does anyone have anything, like, uplifting or anything that we want to share before we go into the closing? Well, today we're recording on uh, our premiere day. That's true. So that's pretty exciting. Even though this won't come out for, like, another month. But still. <laughs> Here's a message from the past. <laughs> the time capsule. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's a good one. <laughs> I was excited for it. I was, too. I stayed up a lot later than I should have. It was not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have one. I binged through the entire series of The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, and it's so good. It's Is it? so freaking good. I watched the first episode last night with Thomas. And I was like, uh, it's about chess. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I really dig it. 
Um, I was also really ambivalent, and I was like, I'm gonna give this, like, 15 minutes, and if I'm not in, I'm gonna turn it off, and, like, no, less than five, less than five minutes, and I was like, I have to know everything, (laughs) and then because I'm a weird person with an addictive personality, as soon as it ended, I started it over again, so (laughs) I'm almost back through it a second time now. What was the other series that you just binged all the way through? Oh, The Attendant. The Flight Attendant. Flight Attendant, yep. Yep, That's on HBO Max. Also really good. Did not know it was a murder mystery, though. That was an accident. (laughs) I was like... Maybe that's one for your show. I was just, like, watching it, having fun. I mean, she seemed like a cool, like, complex, kind of messed up character. And I was like, well, this could be really interesting in, like, a human like flawed human redemption story kind of way which i guess it kind of is still but yeah someone got murdered and i was like what the fuck and then i had to back it up because the way that you find out someone got murdered it's very unexpected like oh have either of you seen house of cards Yes. No. So it's, I would say this was equal shock value to when he pushed Zoe in (gasps) front of the subway. And you had to back it up because you were like, what just happened? Because you were sure you missed something. Yes. And like, I didn't. I backed it up like three times and I, I was like, no, I didn't miss anything. Like, that person's just dead now. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I think, I I honestly think if I'm remembering right, I stopped watching after that because I was like, I can't go through something like that again. It was really traumatizing. It was. It was. I was like, if he throws anybody else in front of any subways, I'm going to just like lose my shit like that. Things like that yeah. mess me up so bad. But at the same time, I really respect that move as a writer because mm-hmm. in In stories, we always want things to be neat and to make sense, but in real life, that shit never makes sense. So it's like this intense, like, 30 seconds of grief for someone you don't even know and who isn't real. And it very much solidified in your mind that, yes, he is an evil piece of shit. Like, Because up until that point, you're like, is he just a dick or is he, like, truly awful? He's truly awful. Like, yeah. he will throw your ass in front of a moving train. He is a dick. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was kind of the opposite effect where you're like, because you don't know who did it in this specific instance, you're like, is the main character an awful fucking person? Like, are you more than just someone who's deeply flawed? Are you actually a murderer? Or -hmm. did something else, like, completely unexplainable happen? And that's... I couldn't stop fucking watching that either. I was exhausted that day, and I stayed up until... (laughs) I finished the last episode at, like, 11.30. Or whatever time I sent that text that I was like, I'm gonna go to bed. And then I, like, put my dog out, brushed my teeth, and then laid down and continued thinking about that show for, like, another 30 minutes until I finally fell asleep. There was so much happening. And The Queen's Gambit's the same way, but, like... Not, because no one gets murdered. Well, that's good. (laughs) I don't even feel like that's a spoiler. Uh, No one gets murdered. (laughs) It's inspired a lot of new chess players. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I hate chess. 
I have tried to learn to play at least half a dozen times. I suck. Because <laughs> no, honest, I suck because I have the concentration to care about what's happening for maybe 20 minutes. And then I just want the game to be over. So I start moving whatever until I lose. <laughs> I think that's how I play with Joel with games all the time. I'm like, nope, I'm done. Checked out. Let's just, you win. <laughs> I'm never like that either because I love to win. And if I could win at everything all the time, that would be my <laughs> ideal existence. And I would never stop gloating about it because I'm a bad winner. But <laughs> uh, if you think I'm a bad winner, I'm a worse loser. Oh. I used to be that person that would flip the game board over. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I would flip the whole board over, even if like it was Monopoly and a bunch of people were still playing. You're not anymore. <laughs> I've gotten a lot better. I don't flip boards over anymore. I will still accuse you of cheating when I lose. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, well, that was a lot of unnecessary and psychologically revealing chat. <laughs> All right, I better close it up. Thank you for coming to visit our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a harmonious slice of North American mythology. Pineapple Pizza Podcast, sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do, question mark. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, Check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice. Because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster... $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppAppPizzaPod pizza pod at gmail.com remember there's the two p's in app otherwise you're emailing someone else and i don't want to be held responsible for that thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels and just remember no matter how you slice it you're awesome and we love you